Hello and welcome to the PCOS Diva podcast. My name is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach and I'm the founder of PCOS Diva. And my mission is to help women with PCOS find the tools and knowledge they need to take control of their PCOS so they can regain their fertility, femininity, health, and happiness. This podcast is sponsored by my new book, Healing PCOS, a 21-day plan that takes you step-by-step through healing and thriving with PCOS. It's all in there waiting for you, beginning with the three keys to living your best life as a PCOS diva. For more details, visit HealingPCOS.com. So today we're going to be talking about a very popular subject I hear from a lot of women with PCOS who are suffering with PMS or what they think is PMS. And I've been really curious to find out whether women with PCOS are more likely to have PMS. And so I reached out to one of my favorite period experts, Nicole Jardin. She is a certified women's health coach. She's the creator of Fix Your Period. It's a series of programs that empower women to reclaim their hormone health using a method that combines simplicity and sass. And she's also the co-host of The Period Party, which is um, one of my favorite podcasts on iTunes. Uh, (laughs) So be sure to check out her podcast if you want to learn more how to fix your period. So Nicole, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Amy. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, and I'm really excited to talk about this subject. I don't think I've tackled it on the PCS Diva podcast yet. Um, So ready. Yeah, I know. Get ready. Um, Lots to talk about, and we're going to try and fit as much as we can in the the 30 minutes or so that we have. Um, So let's just maybe start out with defining like what is PMS and I know there's another like acronym that's tossed around PMDD um maybe you could just give us the skinny on that oh yes okay I've got so much all right I will I'll break this down easily so PMS refers to a collection of physical and emotional symptoms and these and also mental symptoms and they arise in a cyclical pattern. And so usually they coincide with the latter half of the menstrual cycle or the luteal phase. That's where pretty much everyone experiences symptoms. Some women experience some symptoms right after their period. That's sort of taken on a new name. They call it postmenstrual syndrome. Uh, I feel like that's a whole other can of worms and possibly another podcast episode. But so just so you know, there's something going on there too. If you experience symptoms during that time, right after your period, that could be what's going on for you. Uh, So these symptoms usually resolve when your period starts. So it's this lead up, usually the seven to 10 days leading up to your period. And... Oh, sorry. I think you're going. Go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) No, sorry. Okay, I'll keep going. So a lot of people find or a lot of people say that PMS is, you know, a joke, right? It's not even a legitimate condition. And in our culture, I feel like it's just a part of the experience of being a woman with all the lame PMS jokes to go with it. And I just think it's so interesting because we have we've we've made it into something that is 
is not serious. And in fact, I think it is something that we should be taking seriously because it is a legitimate condition that women experience. And then, of course, there's premenstrual dysphoric disorder or PMDD. And, you know, PMS is just sort of a normal inconvenience of menstruation for for most women. But there's about it's probably about three to eight percent of women they experience something much more severe and that's called PMDD. And so for regular PMS symptoms, we're, we're talking about things like bloating and cramping leading up to your period and acne sprouting on your face or in other parts of your body. And then food cravings and potentially stomach issues like stomach upset or feeling nauseous, having, it, having issues sleeping as well, like falling asleep or staying asleep throughout the night. A lot of women experience headaches or menstrual migraines, breast tenderness or breast pain, just this sort of fatigue that really just hangs over you and won't go away. And then a lot of women experience some of these emotional symptoms like anxiety and irritability and just this feeling of fullness and really wanting to release it, which again, metaphorically means you know, your period is, is filling up and will be released soon. And a lot of women then feel, you know, more severe symptoms related to PMDD, uh, like, you know, actual depression, uh, where, you know, they have, you know, they actually feel sadness and hopelessness and feelings of worthlessness. And the insomnia is far worse than just like maybe one or two sleepless nights or one or two nights where you have trouble falling asleep. And then the other symptoms related to PMDD are just like a decreased interest in your usual activities, which, you know, isn't, totally abnormal for this time of the month, but if you're really stuck, like you actually go through a mini depression every month and you're lashing out at people in your life and you feel constant tension and really extreme anxiety and it's actually creating conflict in your relationships or preventing you from maybe even going to work or doing other daily activities and you're feeling out of control, that's really where, you know, I would, I would be talking more about PMDD. And, you know, women with PMDD will often say that their menstrual cycles are negatively impacting their relationships, their career, their mental well-being, and it's not just a matter of some uncomfortable symptoms like PMS each month, but it's more comparable to debilitating and sometimes even traumatic symptoms. So do you think that most doctors recognize PMDD, or is that sort of when you go to the doctor and they, they kind of say, well, it's just PMS and whatever else you're dealing with is kind of in your head. Well, funny you should ask that because unfortunately, the main, com like the most common treatment for PMDD are SSRIs or antidepressants. Mm -hmm. And, you know, oral contraceptives are also popular because, you know, they disrupt ovulation and the production of our estrogen and progesterone and all those evil PMS symptoms start to dissipate when we are no longer ovulating and we're just sort of flatlining our hormones. But yeah, like we are using antidepressants. And interestingly, our friend Dr. Lara Bryden actually had pointed me, pointed me in the direction of an article uh, maybe last year on the invention of PMDD and the invention of, you know, the invention of this condition essentially by Big Pharma I know this sounds so conspiracy theory-like, but it was, it was actually on MedPage today, so I know it's like legit somewhat, but they were talking about um, you know, pharmaceutical reps coming together or pharmaceutical 
people who came together to devise a solution for women with this condition that they essentially invented. And so I'm always very wary of, of again, like someone being diagnosed with PMDD or PMS even, because I feel like we tend to pathologize these symptoms that we experience. And in many cases, what we should be doing is just sort of looking at a root cause for what's causing the hormonal imbalance in the first place. But coming back to what you were saying, yes, I actually think a lot of doctors will uh, recognize something like PMDD and uh, because there's a solution for it. There are antidepressants that they can, they can recommend. Mm. Where, you know, I think that happens with a lot of women with PCOS too. You, you know, yeah. they look at our, our symptoms and it's, the uh, response is treating the ill with a pill. So you have acne and let's put you on Accutane or you've got depressive. And, and, I'm, and I'm not, um, some women that have depression do need to be medicated, but sometimes it could just be you're low in um, a specific nutrient. <laughs> and yeah. doctors aren't really looking at, or sometimes aren't really looking at getting to the root cause. So I think that brings us to, you know, what are the root causes of PMS and potentially PMDD? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a number of different issues happening or at play, especially for women with PCOS. So I'll just sort of go into them as an, like an overall view sure. for most women, because mm -hmm. I think that it's really important for women to understand that, you know, this can really happen to any of us. Uh, it's not just women who potentially have um, PCOS. But I think like, you know, in many cases, it, more than anything, like what just to build on what you said about there's a pill for every ill, like we need to be really paying attention to our bodies and paying attention to what's going on and taking those cues rather than looking to external sources to help us figure out what's going on. It's helpful, of course, but it's, I think it's so important for us to really get in the know and understand because antidepressants to deal with your PMDD are, you know, they had, they come with their own side effects. And so we, we have to be very in the know about that. And I just don't think that there's anything normal about what women endure each month when it comes to these conditions, because they're, you know, these are like now being categorized as female psychological disorders. And I think there's something wrong with that. It's almost like saying to women, well, your bodies are just not, not meant to work without the help of some kind of pharmaceutical. And I think that that's a potentially dangerous message to spread. But, you know, coming back to like the causes, I, you know, we have a couple of different things going on and it's usually like a combination approach, but psychological stress is a big part of this. Obviously we all know this by now. I feel like we're all broken records talking about stress in our lives, uh, but that is a big part of it. And I'll explain, you know, how that connects to our female sex hormones as well as diet. You mentioned a nutrient deficiency. There are definitely specific nutrient deficiencies that contribute to these hormones going a little bit out of whack and then causing, you know, causing these problems and then environmental toxins. So ones that mimic estrogen in particular, and that of course is, is very applicable to women with PCOS. And then, of course, um, one of my other ones I consider to be a big issue, too, is poor detoxification. So we're not either detoxing certain chemicals and toxins from our bodies, but we're also not detoxing estrogen correctly either. And that, again, comes back to a number of different factors. One of them, 
one of them is that we're overloading our bodies. The second thing is there's a genetic component and there's also a gut health component. And so, um, you know, the other thing too is that, you know, coming back to your diet, which I think is, again, the really root, root cause of everything, as well as the stress, but the diet in particular, is that, you know, we're in, we're living in a time where our, you know, our dependence on refined carbohydrates and sugar and being in, living in our stress-filled world is just an ever-present problem. I think it's massively important that we're looking at this, and especially for women who have polycystic ovarian syndrome, because we, you know, we are t- we're basically set up almost genetically for chronic blood sugar spikes and crashes, and so we have to be especially diligent about that. And I say we. I don't have PCOS. <laughs> I don't know why I'm saying that. You guys have to be. But you know, I'm just saying that because you know. Back in the day, I wasn't getting my period for months at a time, and I was eventually put on the pill, and I was never diagnosed with PCOS formally, but I had a lot of the sort of telltale symptoms. So I could, I definitely relate to a lot of what women experience with this condition. And so coming back to PMS and this root cause when it is linked to our diet, I really think that, you know, these blood sugar imbalances are a play a really big role. And, you know, I, I, I joke about this, about PMS being the same as just being hangry all the time. Mm-hmm. And it actually kind of is that in a way when you think about it in terms of blood sugar instability and hypoglycemia and then hyperglycemia, because the symptoms of that and PMS are actually very similar. And, you know, when you think about just getting annoyed and frustrated and having a little bit of a tantrum or, you know, just having these headaches or these bouts of fatigue, all of it is very similar. And what's really interesting is that insulin sensitivity is actually higher in our follicular phase. So that's that first phase of our cycle and drops in our luteal phase in the second half of our cycle, which is very interesting to me. And so this makes our bodies more prone to blood sugar and insulin imbalances in that second half of our cycle. Whereas in the first half, we tend to not have those issues so much. And so these, you know, the PMS cravings and the mood swings and the brain fog and the bouts of the fatigue, those are all, uh, you know, typically what happened in the second half. And I'm always convinced that it's because progesterone sort of has a like a blood sugar lowering effect on our bodies. And so when progesterone is higher in that second half of our cycle or after we've ovulated, we tend to have more of these symptoms, whereas estrogen actually enhances the efficiency of insulin. So in that first half of our cycle leading up to ovulation, we typically have higher estrogen and our blood sugar tends to stay more stable. I love how you explain that, and I could really relate to the similarity of blood sugar imbalances with how I feel right before my period. I'm usually like, just the fatigue is like I've been hit by a truck some days, Mm -hmm. got to take a nap, and it's very similar to how I feel if I've eaten like a high carbohydrate meal. Um, yes. And I just get hit with that low kind of blood sugar dip afterwards, like that hypoglycemic, like plunge. Um, and yeah, and the cravings, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Cause I'm right? looking for, I don't understand why I'm so hungry. <laughs> <laughs> well, like what's really great is that progesterone, you know, progesterone is the, obviously the more dominant hormone while you're pregnant, that progestation hormone as it's mm-hmm. called. And it, 
you know, it actually, it had, it does something with insulin while we're pregnant. It actually puts us in a state almost of insulin resistance so that we can grow our baby faster, which I'm always so fascinated by this. So it's not, it wouldn't be crazy to think that progesterone sort of does that to us in the second half of our cycle as well. And, you know, I think women, they constantly say to me, okay, well, how do I even know, you know, my blood sugar is dysregulated or that I have insulin resistance? And I imagine you've talked about this ad nauseum, you know, on the podcast and on your blog and in your book. But, you know, I find that like just telling women just a few things like, you know, the brain fog or this fatigue that you just described, like those, that's a good sign that there is like a, a imbalance, probably temporary more than likely. Mm-hmm but an imbalance in your blood sugar and then um, that mid morning or the mid afternoon energy dip or the crash or feeling sleepy after you've eaten a meal and then sugar cravings right after a meal. So usually if you see any of those, it's likely that something happened in your meal or the food that you ate or whatever you just drank, maybe it was a coffee uh, that, you know, caused some blood sugar, uh, maybe a blood sugar spike and crash. So that's, I think that's helpful for people to just sort of have an idea of what that looks like. Yeah, no, very, very helpful. So um, for somebody like me who I do get irritability, um, I do have the cravings, um, (laughs) and then I do get the fatigue, and it's usually like one or two days before my period starts. What, uh, is there anything I could do or is there anything, you know, to fix, to to sort of um, maybe not alleviate, but lessen those symptoms? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that for many of us too, I I take a sort of nuanced approach to PMS. And the reason I say that is because, or PMS symptoms in general, and because, because we have turned premenstrual syndrome into this kind of jokey thing, we, we view it as being something bad. And I really, you know, feel like we need to flip the script on it a little bit because, you know, I don't really consider any of the symptoms to be bad necessarily. I just consider them to be your body speaking to you in her own language, which we are always working to decipher. And she's essentially saying, Amy, you might need to take a break. (laughs) You might not need to be doing whatever it is you're doing today and just chill out. And I, you know, I get those messages all the time. And so I always encourage women to really tune into what it is that their body is actually trying to tell them and, and start to pay attention to that and, and listen to it. And so when, you know, when you said like irritability or you're just exhausted, it really is that, right? Our bodies were fundamentally designed to ex, like expend energy at certain times of our cycle and then conserve it at other times. And that really is the time. I, you know, I kind of joke, I call progesterone truth serum (laughs) because all kinds of stuff comes out during that premenstrual time. I'm sure women who are listening can relate to this. I bet you can too. I I just, I was just having a conversation with my partner and I, you know, we were talking about some hard stuff and I was like, maybe I shouldn't be talking about this at this time of my cycle because I'm about to get my period. And, And then I was like, well, you know, it's good because honestly what you'll find is What's amazing at this time of your cycle is that you get so many intuitive hits, and if you just slow down a little bit, you're able to really tune into like what you know what's going on in your life and what you might need to shift or change. And it's really hard, I think, to do that when we're just we continue to go 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 like we were doing around ovulation time, for instance. And as a result, we miss all of those cues. And 
I think we, I think our bodies just, they're like, okay, fine. I'm going to just rebel against you (laughs) or something. And so then you start to feel all of these symptoms. And so I think more than anything, it's so important for us to figure out how we can, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot of solutions we can do to address and I'll talk about those, but I think it's so important for us to really take it down a notch and figure out what our bodies are saying to us so that we can then, we can sort of live more in sync with them versus like constantly feeling like we're butting up against them. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah. I mean, I love, so now that I am cycling, I mean, early when I was really struggling with PCOS, you know, I would have this non-existent cycle. Um, yes. Women listening um, can probably relate. Like why, you know, I don't have PMS because I don't even have a cycle. Um, or I was on the pill and it suppressed a lot of that. But yeah. now that I am um, still, you know, every like 20, 30 days, like clockwork, which is a miracle because it wasn't like that when I was young. Um, I've become to honor that cycle. And I think that's what you're talking about and what a lot of um, women's hormone bloggers, I think, um, and experts are alluding to now is that we need to sort of go with the flow, right? And honor. <laughs> honor our cycle. And so I kind of look at my calendar now and know that at that time of month, I'm really usually pretty tired. And, you know, I may not be able to, um, you know, run a 5k. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Um, exactly. Yeah. But earlier mid cycle, you know, I feel really energetic and I probably couldn't do that. Um, so I do Mm -hmm. think that that's really to honor your body cycles. Um, I guess yeah. I'm, I'm jumping around a little bit, but because I, I kind of alluded to the fact that women with PCOS struggle with um, ovulation and regular menstrual cycles, I mean, are we more likely to have PMS? Yeah, you know, this is so this is so fascinating to me in, you know, in all of my research and just in prepping for chatting with you today, I, you know, I was finding some really great information that I wanted to share. And I, you know, I, I talk about this on my blog, and it's just the relation between our gut health and our mental and emotional health, of course. Uh, you know, estrogen and progesterone, they impact our neurotransmitters, which is why when a woman is struggling with PMS or even PCOS, they, you know, they have, it's like a full body experience, right? It's not just like a little bit of cramping and some acne. It's usually more than that. It's, it's pretty multifaceted. And so, you know, there's this, obviously there's, our gut health is connected to everything. And so a lot of what a lot of women don't realize though, is that histamine, which is produced by bacteria in fermented foods and other foods as well, which I'll, I'll get into in a second, uh, that actually show, there's some interesting research that shows that that can trigger PMS symptoms, even whether it's before your actual period or around ovulation or just if you're estrogen dominant. And that's, you know, I think it relates to women with PCOS in particular because they tend to not ovulate often. So they tend to have more estrogen in relation to progesterone. Progesterone typically will downplay the effect of um, of histamine on our bodies, whereas estrogen actually triggers it and causes it to rise. And so for anyone who doesn't really know what that is, histamines are chemicals that are stored in immune cells called mast cells. 
And they're involved in a whole bunch of things, like immune response and nerve transmission, all kinds of things. And what happens is these mast cells get triggered and they release histamines. And so I was talking about this on my blog, especially because it relates to endometriosis, but it definitely relates to PCOS too. And so if you think of histamines, you think of like an antihistamine, right? So you think of sneezing and itching and hives and wheezing and things like that and getting all red and swollen. Um, and so interestingly, women with PCOS, like I said, they actually tend to have more histamines or histamine issues. In, and the reason for that is a lot of the time women with PCOS have um, like a less diverse microbiome, uh, which is so interesting. And I, although I think that that tends to be the case for most humans in the developed world now, but they've, they've made the connection between PCOS and this less diverse microbiome. And then there are not only these mast cells producing histamine, but they're actual gut microbes uh, that are also um, producing histamine as well. And so they, they regulate it, they produce it, they deregulate it, that kind of thing. And so I sort of was thinking along the lines of this connection between the, you know, a, wom a woman who has PCOS who has uh, these, you know, potential like compromised gut health and uh, that her histamine production is potentially, you know, triggering, um, you know, these, these PMS symptoms. So like women, so ladies, if you are you're having issues where you're not really ovulating and you have an, you're in an estrogen dominant state and you, ex, you feel like you experience a lot of these PMS like symptoms that I described, that's what this could be. Or if you do ovulate and maybe not often, but you ovulate when estrogen rises significantly and you experience this around ovulation, like a, it's almost like a PMS, an ovulatory PMS, or you experiencing it, you experience it towards the end of your cycle know that this could potentially be what's going on. And, you know, I, I think with the, with histamine, you know, it's, it's a little tough in that you're, you know, there's no super easy way, but I think what's great is that women, if you do feel these symptoms and maybe think that this could be what's going on, because the symptoms that you experience too, are not only the PMS like symptoms, but if you, you know, get skin rashes or, uh, you have, um, like I said, sneezing or itchy eyes or a red nose or uh, itchy skin or swelling or anything like that, that's definitely a sign too that there's a histamine intolerance. And so histamines are typically found in, like I said, sauerkraut, so fermented foods, uh, yogurt, um, pickles, sour cream, aged cheeses, cheddar or goat cheese or something like that. And then things like alcohol, sadly, wine and beer in particular, and avocados, unfortunately, and chocolate and other dairy products. So again, you could find a list online um, and maybe consider cutting those out for like one to two weeks and see what happens because I've seen great results for women where they do that and it really helps to stabilize the effect of, of histamines on their health. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, certainly, I think a lot of women listening probably don't do dairy already. Yes, yes. But, you know, so fermented foods is something that is um, considered to be really healthy and rebuilding gut. And I can tell you so many women with PCOS now have t turned their soda habit to a kombucha habit. Ah, uh, yes, I know. Um, yeah, and so that I think could be affecting um, not only like histamine, but things like candida as well. Um, oh yeah, 
but anyway, so I think that, that that's really fascinating. I haven't read about the histamine PCOS connection. I'm fascinated. Um, um, did you say that you have a, you wrote a blog article about it? I well, I have some information on it. I haven't quite written a blog out oh, okay. a, a article specifically about it yet, but I wanted to do that just because I, I think that it's so it's so important for us to be paying attention to these things yeah. that you never really even know about. Um, so I so I want to circle back to the to sort of the fixes. Um, yes, and, and uh, I mean I think that's a great point about possibly histamine intolerance. Um, and then earlier you were talking about your diet and detoxification and stress. Um, yeah. And, you know, you've talked about the gut health, about your gut health as well. Um, I'm wondering if you could give us um, a few concrete tips. Yes. That we could walk away with that and put into action. Yes, I would love to. So I think that more than anything, and I know you've probably talked about this a lot too, but when when we eat a breakfast with protein and fat in it, it really changes the game for us. Like it changes everything throughout the day. And you know, I've a friend of mine created something called the Superhuman Breakfast a long time ago, and I've really stuck with stuck with it. It's just one of my favorites. And I, you know, it's essentially eggs, like poached, soft boiled, something like that. Some kind of greens, steamed or sautéed, like whether that's kale or collards or some other kind of leafy green or broccoli or something and then sweet potato and avocado and maybe any other veggies you'd like or some kind of meat whether that's like sausage or bacon or something that you know you can put, put with this breakfast and I have I even sometimes have it for dinner because it's so great and it's just again like it keeps you full for so long and it's got all the things that you would really need. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of figuring out like what's happening for breakfast. That's huge. And I think, you know, when, when we think about eating, it's so, and this ties into the stress component too, and just the doing of all the things at all the time. But when we eat, it's so important to notice what we are doing or not doing. And I find that so many of us are just constantly walking or rushing to work. There's, we're standing you know, at the kitchen counter, we're at our desk, we're doing a million things while we eat. And all of this actually raises our blood sugar because we're eating in what, what your body considers to be a stressed environment. So also, I, would, I, I have to interject about um, doing things while you're eating and social media, scrolling through Instagram and Facebook. Um, how many of us cannot put our phone down? I mean, we included sometimes. Yes, um, same. Uh, and that can, I mean, just look, you know, looking at all of the political stuff that comes through on your feed and, you know, looking at, um, you know, maybe what your friends are doing and then it brings up um, feelings of, you know, a jealousy or envy because they're on some fabulous vacation and you're trying to eat while you're trying to process all of that. That's just... Social media is not great either. You get a no. break. It's no, I could not agree more. I was actually just talking about that in the last couple of days. My really coming to terms with my addiction to mm-hmm. wanting, you know, wanting to see those things and get that dopamine hit every single time I open one of those apps. And yeah, like we really have to be cognizant of that. So 
going outside and eating or, you know, literally leaving your phone in the office or at home and, and going outside and eating and aiming to chew your food 20 to 30 times per mouthful. I mean, who really does that? I do because I'm a freak. But like, and I, you know, you notice when you chew your food and other people don't. So yeah, just really thinking about how you can be more mindful when you're actually eating your food is so crucial. And then there are a couple other things too that I think are so important. Like one of them is vitamin D. You know, I, I know that you talked about this. I talk about this too a lot. And just the connection between low vitamin D and diabetes and low vitamin D and polycystic ovarian syndrome. And so, you know, it's really crazy. It's like every unit increase in vitamin D levels, there is an 8 de- decrease in the risk of getting diabetes. And that's just really interesting because it's very clear the correlation. So I'm, you know, I'm always on women to make sure that they get their vitamin D tested. And I, you know, of course, make sure that it's over, over 35 at a minimum, like 35 to 70 is really where you'd like it to be. It's a big range, but it depends on, you know, how you feel, right? So check in with yourself. If you're not feeling great at 35, it likely needs to be higher. But, you know, getting in the sun, if you live in a sunny environment every single day, and also supplementing if that's necessary, but just knowing that you need to be testing, you know, relatively consistently, like one to two times a year, just to see where your vitamin D is, especially if you have PCOS, just to make sure that you're, you know, you're taking care of your, like the basics that your body needs to stay within the range of stable blood sugar. Um, you know, another thing that I also recommend too for for blood sugar stability and, and just addressing, you know, PMS symptoms in general is omega-3 fatty acids. Uh, they've, you know, I've seen so many amazing studies about omega-3s and inflammation and physical pain, you know, which are, of course, all going to trigger these symptoms that we experience, whether that's an ovulation time or at PMS premenstrual time. And so omega-3 fatty acids, whether you're consuming, you know, cold water fatty fish or, and or taking, you know, two capsules, one to two capsules of omega-3 fish oil a day, something around 2,000 milligrams a day, I highly recommend this just for all of the, you know, again, brain inflammation and physical inflammation. Um, So those are, you know, and again, like coming back to the histamine limiting or limiting the histamine releasing foods, that too, I think just even for a week or two, just to see if that, if that helps to improve your symptoms. Yeah, that's great advice. And that's one of the reasons that um, my essentials um, bundle that I Mm. offer has uh, omega-3s and vitamin D. I just think it's so important that women, like like you said, you have to find out where your, your um, vitamin D level is. And some women need like mega amounts um, for a while to get it optimized. Um, Yes. So, and and where you were recording this in October, I think it's your podcast coming out in November though, but um, it is breast cancer awareness month and vitamin, there's a correlation between low vitamin D and breast cancer too. Yes, absolutely. I know. I was just reading that somewhere. Um, I think on Dr. Ben Lynch's website, he was just talking about that, about breast cancer and, you know, the the pink washing of breast cancer. And that's, again, a whole other podcast. But yeah, the fact that actually we should really just be looking at some nutrient uh, deficiencies versus talking about, um, you know, making everything pink (laughs) with with fake food coloring that's potentially going to be problematic for us. So yes, 
yeah, vitamin D is huge for that too. Yeah, so some, some really great tips. And, you know, if you've been following the uh, PCOS Diva podcast for a while, hopefully you've been doing some of those things already. Um, and, you know, you're ahead of the game. But can you give us some thoughts on maybe resources for looking into histamine um, intolerance? Is there any sites that you like or... Yeah. Well, I was, um, let's see, what was I looking at? I, I suppose I could just like write this blog post and I could share that with you. Um, there were just, a, it wasn't anything that I found on anyone's site per se. It was just some studies that I was looking at. Uh, so I'll have to, you know, I'll definitely have to provide that, give that to you so that you can put it in the show notes. Okay. Excellent. Okay, awesome. Um, Okay, well, I think we're about out of time, but I want to make sure that women can find out more about the work that you do, Nicole, and where can they find out more about you and what you, um, I know you offer so much for women who are trying to fix their periods. Thank you. Yeah, so you can just find me on my website. It's NicoleJardim.com, and my blog has a ton of information. I'll make sure to get that histamine blog post up. And you can also take my quiz to figure out what's going on with your period. I have a free seven-day course for women who are interested in fixing their periods once you take, your, the, take the quiz. And I'm also the co-host of The Period Party, which, Amy, I know you'd mentioned. And you can find that on iTunes and pretty much anywhere uh, podcasts are these days. And I do that with my friend, Dr. Nat Kringudis. It's, it's actually a party. It's pretty hilarious. We had Amy on <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. And it was and fun. <laughs> it was. It was so fun chatting with you. So, yes, those are the main places that you can find me. Excellent. Well, I so appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to us about PMS and PMDD. And um, I look forward to having you on soon. I know um, you have some projects that you're working on that I know that women with PCOS would be interested in. So we will have you back on the PCOS Diva podcast soon. Thanks, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. Well, and thank you everyone for listening. I look forward to being with you again soon. Thanks for joining us today. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast and learned a little something that can help you along in your journey. For more information about PCOS and PCOS Diva products and programs, visit PCOSDiva.com. This podcast was sponsored by my new book, Healing PCOS. It's my proven 21-day diet and lifestyle plan to help women with PCOS take back control of their health and resolve their symptoms. Healing PCOS offers you daily, small, manageable steps that help alleviate symptoms and control the inflammation, hormonal imbalance, and insulin resistance that underlie PCOS. The 21-day plan consists of a 21-day anti-inflammatory hormone balancing meal plan, including meal prep and plan-ahead tips to make eating like a PCOS diva sustainable, 85 delicious recipes, daily lessons, and self-care exercises. I have helped tens of thousands of women with PCOS take back control over their health and their lives through lasting healing and sustainable lifestyle change. So whether you're newly diagnosed or have struggled a lifetime with PCOS, this book is for you. Find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere books are sold.